0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to Successful Style. I'm Lance Avery Morgan here with Rob Giardinelli. And we have the Carolyn Farb. The inimitable, captivating Carolyn One Farb. of a kind Carolyn Farb. <laughs> I'll second <And> that. <laughs> <laughs> We're so glad you're here. We are in your beautiful home in Houston, surrounded by art and fashion and passion and all things Caroline. We're just so thrilled to be here.
1: Well, I couldn't be more honored that you're here, and you brought this gorgeous weather with you. We
0: did. It is about as we perfect try. as it gets. <laughs> I know, because you all have had it here in Houston with lots of rain over monsoons. the years, monsoons, and you've you've weathered all those storms. So the unsinkable <laughs> Carolyn Farb. Thank you.
2: That's great. So Carolyn, um, you, I don't even know where to begin with you because you have done so much. For so many, for so many, from f- a philanthropy perspective, from a championing people, from an arts perspective, um, tell us, tell us a little bit about what really motivates and drives you to pursue and um, support somebody.
1: I think it's my heart, because when a cause, or a person, or a need touches me, that that's my motivation. And every time I say this is the last time, there's always another time because there's things that are going on. You mentioned art a minute ago. Now, there's a young artist named Trey Slaughter who's starting Artist for Artists because artists cannot receive emergency funds uh, in a matter of 24 hours. And they have emergencies and they don't have insurance. And this is a movement that was inspired by Patrick Madrano, an artist that got really sick and we had to do an, the art fund on the Internet, and then artists, for the first time, did something for artists. They had their art, and the, half the funds went to the nonprofit, which is Artists for Artists, and the rest went to support Patrick's
0: needs. Well, and it just shows That's what, what an like. artful life you live. And let's jump back a little way, shall we? Because you were pals with an artist named Andy Warhol.
1: There's not going to ever be another Warhol. He was unique.
0: Tell us about that. How did that come about? Tell us about your friendship with him.
1: I don't, I don't really remember how we met. Sometimes I, I just can't remember. It's just organic. It was destined to be. It could have been the pump room at Neiman Marcus in Houston, Texas, when he was down here signing a book. And then I later wrote for Interview Magazine. His magazine. It was, it was so exciting. And now I have The Wind, which was a painting that hung in the factory in my living room.
0: I didn't wow. know that. Oh no, uh-huh. and, and
1: Jamie Wyeth and I both were bidding uh, for that painting, and I got it. Wonderful. And uh, he and Andy were very much uh, enamored with it.
0: Right. Well great. What a great legacy to your friendship with Andy. So what were those days like when you when you wrote for interview? I've read many of your pieces that you did and they're really well written and you've we've collaborated on lots of fun editorial opportunities from you being on the cover of of Brilliant Magazine to you making an almost every issue appearance with the Society Diaries and you're one of the characters in my book and you know, you're just fun to know. But tell us a big fan of you, well you're very sweet. You're very kind. We're just two guys who, who find that the harder we work, the better luck we have. And we're so lucky to be here. But let, let's get back to the whole Warhol years and interview. How, how different was the world then in art than it is now?
1: Well, you know, Andy was, of course, a trailblazer. And John Mich- uh, Michelle Basquiat wouldn't have emerged if Andy hadn't discovered him outside of a restaurant they frequented. And um, that was all... Very
0: serendipitous. Uh, Hold on. Are we okay? Great. So really, isn't life all about serendipity and being serendipitous?
1: For me, I've always lived that way. I don't have to wonder, what am I going to do next? It's like it just comes in the door, and then I go with it.
0: Do you feel that, you know, let's get a little metaphysical here, shall we? I think people attract energy. So if that energy comes in the door, you've attracted that energy.
1: I, I think that that could be true. I mean, I'm a spiritual person, and I, I believe in things like that happening, and they've happened to me all my life. It's when I began my volunteer career at Texas Children's Hospital as a teenager. Let's go back to
2: those days. Yeah, and what motivated you to get into philanthropy you know, initially?
1: Well, it really wasn't called philanthropy. It was about doing good helping others, being kind, um, you know, s- helping to solve problems, and caring for others. Interesting.
2: Right. And um, when you started, when you first started volunteering with the hospital, what What made you choose that particular organization?
1: Well, I was like a child myself, 15 or 16, and I admired this uh, native Eustonian, a great horsewoman, Joan Robinson Hill, and I sort of did my volunteerism in the snack bar because I didn't like to see the children suffering, but their parents and relatives would come to the snack bar, and that would be a, a happier place for them, and sometimes the children could come down there when they were doing better. Oh,
0: interesting! So happy people, happy experiences. That goes back to your future fundraising career as well.
1: Yes, I mean when you make gifts and create situations that improve the lives of others, it, it's it, there's nothing more gratifying to me. I, I, it's a calling, like Nina Cullen and the great philanthropist who built Cullen and Hall at the Museum of Fine Arts mm-hmm. said to me, Carolyn, you have a gift, and just share it. And it was almost like a a declaration. So I said, yes, I respected her tremendously. She never married. And uh, I used to have dinners at her home with Herb Wells, the then great decorator in River Oaks and we, we had many interesting evenings
0: how fun
1: it was great fun
0: you've known so many great personalities and you you are a personality yourself you kind of cuz what's so great is that i feel like we were talking earlier we've known each other for 15 years and so the time flew the time flies when you're young and beautiful and i feel like growing up in texas i've all, there's always been a carolyn farb there's you're always very kind. no it's very true you were always a headliner a bold faced name in the world that didn't really do that, unless you were a film star or a singing star, you kind of paved the way with that. So,
1: well, you know, I like to act a little. I had a contract. Did you ever know that?
0: I heard about that. You for did? Tell us more about that. Yeah,
1: with uh, Lucille Ball's studio, Desilu Studios, and I studied acting there. And um, and you need a stage mom to really make it out there. You need somebody to be business. a tough, right. a guardian angel. But uh, it was interesting, and I l- lived and worked in New York City with uh, Alan J. Lerner and one of the Squire's brothers, and they managed Robert Goulet. Can you imagine having a first job like that? Yes,
0: please. <laughs> yes, at I can. At the Plaza Hotel. Your first job. <laughs> like Are you kidding? At the Plaza Hotel. Are you office at the Plaza, you're kidding me. No, How I mean, and
1: when it snowed, they'd have someone take us home. It was really uh, lots of benefits.
0: And so Alan J. Lerner of Lerner and Lowe, who did My Fair Lady.
1: And sa- on a clear day, on a clear you could see, can see be forever. Because he was doing that when I went to work that's there. That's right. And the doors would slam, and that's when you knew to find a secret place till things settled down.
0: Right. So you were in L.A. at an earlier period in a much more glamorous world. I mean, there's... we. Glamour is where you find it, is what I think, and you take glamour, you bring glamour everywhere you go, but what was LA like in those days? I mean, Sunset Strip was happening with all the nightclubs and all the fun, fun personalities. Tell us about that.
1: Well, it was a different time. It was um, the Sunset Strip it was different than it is today and my grandfather had um, general hamelberg who was in residence at the beverly hills hotel sort of looking after me when i was out there oh great but uh, i used to travel from las vegas with my grandfather for his business meetings he was the president and founder of the sands hotel and so it was very idyllic uh, going to the film studios um Having my hair and makeup done, at that time I thought makeup was kind of icky, and um, and we just had a wonderful time. He would have someone take me around to Lands. There was a dress line called L A N Z, mm-hmm. and uh, and Wilson's leather shop where you could get great I leather and suede leather. things. I had a blue suede jacket from I, there. It was just a, it was a different time. Yeah, isn't that Go something? to the farmers market, right. which was a real exciting place That's to right. me, a, a kid.
0: Yeah. Well, it's a town where, you know, just all the everyday movie stars, you'd see at farmer's market or or when you would Coming go out. Coming
1: out of the hotel.
0: Well, and for a lot of people who um, may not know Carolyn, unfortunately, and they should know her if they don't, uh, you're a dead ringer for Barbara Eden, and I'm sure you really were. Barbara Streisand. Barbara Eden. No. Barbara Eden and Barbara yes. Streisand. And both. Barbara Streisand. Barbara yeah. Streisand now and Barbara Eden Past, president, and future, how's that? Well,
1: I'll, I'll take
0: both of them. <laughs> <laughs> and you can throw Stevie Nicks. And Stevie, with an essence of
2: Stevie Nicks. Yes, well, we know for Stevie sure. Nicks is your soul sister. So. She is
1: my soul sister. I have to show you a picture taken backstage at her concert. The great Roger Woolsey, that has millionaire, took me backstage. And Stevie and I just forgot everybody that was back there. She admired my necklace. I admired her this. We had bought the same sunglasses. We weren't shopping together. And we're the same height. Yeah. And uh, it was, I can't wait for her to come again.
0: Petite bombshells. Petite, for sure. <laughs> we that got to arrange that <laughs>
2: reunion.
1: The best things come in small packages. That is so true. That's what my grandfather used to tell me.
0: Well, let's okay. So let's talk about the sands in Vegas. You had a very special relationship with your grandfather.
1: He, I still do.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: He, every, I, I know that he watches over me. He died when I was eighteen. He was like my mother, my father. Uh, he inspired me. If if you did this, it had to be better. Mm-hmm. Y- he inspired me to reach higher, mm-hmm. to think loftier uh to try to achieve wonderful things
0: right so in the world of nightclubs in vegas that's changed too right it's
1: it's so different uh it's so commercial and maybe people going there today like it that people would carry their own luggage to the room. They take takeout food into these hotels that have these sumptuous restaurants. They dressed so elegantly with beautiful gowns by designers from Beverly Hills and elsewhere Europe, and um, and we sat in front of the stage in the hotel rooms. You didn't. Uh, now they don't have that sort of a thing. Mm-hmm. You had dinner, and then dinner it or a show. It was just wonderful. Yeah. The dinner shows are gone. And how do,
2: you, how do you think, you know, it, it's interesting because you grew up in Las Vegas, which, you know, which at, at that time was very much a Hollywood playground. Did, did your growing up in that environment, did that help when you did go to L.A. and you did pursue an acting career and were under contract with Desi? Lu?
1: Well, you know, it was very glamorous, exciting. I used to watch the rehearsals in the COPA room. That um, I have to remember. Jack and Trotter produced. Mm-hmm. Um, they were just amazing. I mean, there was Johnny Mathis and uh, all of these incredible stars. Bobby I saw Darin. a lot. Bobby Darren, yeah. Sandra Dee, mm-hmm. uh, Mark, Anne Margaret, uh, Liza Minnelli, whose mother Judy Garland was on the stage. And wow. I saw I saw Liza when she first went to went on stage with her mother in the Copa Room at the Sands. Wow. And later she. Was part of an event that Marvin Hamlish and I did for the Stalin Foundation for Cancer that Research that people still talk yes.
0: about to this day.
1: Well, it was it was the first time that I'd ever raised that much money, and I was going through my divorce, and my ex-husband. A very nice man was trying to talk to me in the middle of that at Jones Hall about reconciliation, and <laughs> I, I had to get on a stage, a stage, and uh, speak in front of three thousand people. It right. was, it was. I had the Grambling marching band evening. outside. Oh my gosh! Uh, we had, we had wonderful people.
2: Wow. So let's talk about that evening because to me that is probably in the annals of Texas um, fundraising and philanthropy. That was really a watershed moment because that was the first time. A million dollars was raised in an evening. What I've always been curious about and wanted to ask you was you probably had people saying a million dollars is kind of a, is a really astronomical number. How did you know internally that you were going to be able to achieve that goal?
1: I just knew that I couldn't let Dr. Stalin, John Stalin, who treated people as well as the the cancer and also Marvin Hamlish whose mother was dying of cancer Mm. and later his sister let them down because he could have gone to Sloan Kettering or any of the hospitals in New York but he bonded with Dr. Stalin and this this evening came about when I was hosting something for the Houston Symphony where Marvin had um, appeared Mm -hmm. and uh, so he and I just threw the number out in front of Dr. Stalin and we both did our parts to make it happen. I mean, I took people wow. on tours of the Nude Mice Lab that was part of the research they were doing at St. Joseph's. Uh, we went to San Antonio. We traveled to Dallas, the different doctors wow. and I. And uh, there, was no, uh, there was no end. And But you talk about serendipity. Mm-hmm. Well, one day I was seated next to Isidore Sharp, who owns the Four Seasons, and we were going to have a midnight supper at the Four Seasons after the concert. And uh, he underwrote the entire thing. I'm a believer that you don't have to spend money to raise money. You have to really make the commitment and have the dedication and the passion to raise that kind of money. And uh, I've done that for a long time.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, it's interesting because if you count for inflation with a million dollars at that point, that would be... Ten to fifteen million dollars raised in one night now, so that shows the the really huge feat that that was given the time being. I mean, I think even to reach a million dollars today is substantial. I'm not. I'm not. And people
2: I'm, really still fet and celebrate it. In Absolutely. most of the markets that we go in, I mean, a million dollars is still something to it's really, still truly a huge be deal, celebrated. But think I of
0: it if it was so fifteen thrilled. million, like you did then. I mean, that would just, it's phenomenal. See,
1: I, I, I wish I'm, I'm sort of an artistic, creative type, and I wish I, I would be blown away if I and and you, what you just said, it was just overwhelming. It, it was so meaningful. There was Marvin and Anne Margaret and Crystal Gale. Alan King, Pia Zadora and everyone had donated their talent. Can you imagine? No, I
0: cannot cuz that would never happen these days. Yeah, it wouldn't. Well,
1: I I always negotiate and right. talk to them like when I found right. uh, Don Henley when I was doing Another mm-hmm. Million dollar Fellow Texan. Evening. That's a right. wonderful conservative, a uh, wonderful man who's mm-hmm. conscientious about the environment. Mm-hmm. He was doing a book signing. I don't know if you know this, Lance and Rob. No. I went to Galveston, stood in line, and uh, got his book, and then asked him if he would consider being a part of this evening. He and Lyle Lovett, love and they would donate their talent. Well, he agreed. I c- he donated his talent, and we raised maybe a million five. I'm trying to remember That's the exact. That's a lot of money wow. no, still. It, it was it was yes, a lot of money. Right. And it honored uh, Marvin Zendler, mm-hmm. the legendary uh, eyewitness news mm-hmm. guy from sure. Channel 13. That's right. And there were 1,200 people in the ballroom at the... Uh, hotel downtown
0: mm-hmm. isn't that incredible no it wow. it, but
1: see uh, it, i just i got in line <laughs> and i waited and i introduced myself and i still when i go to his concerts i get a note backstage he invites me backstage i haven't seen him in a while but uh what what a fine gentleman as was is lyle lovett who just had that's twins right. that's right did you wow. know me and April that just had twins. i did, I I did that, know yeah. that yeah i sent so them fun. i finally found a frame for twins to oh, give, fun. you know, a, a double frame yeah, as a that's baby smart. gift. Yeah, oh, that's great. He's going to be doing something, um, I think, for the University of Houston College of Natural Sciences and Mathematics coming up. But uh, I reached out to him and uh, and and when I did things with Kinky, when he was Kinky Friedman, who that's ran right. for um, governor and for farm commissioner That's right. land commissioner, land commissioner. Uh, Lyle it was at, here at this house with uh, other friends Jerry Jeff Walker the the crew Kinky's right. crew
0: right <laughs> isn't that well you're part of Kinky's crew I certainly am you've been a part of so many crews and you've also been a part of a very fashionable crew you're known to be not only lovely in spirit and essence and and professionalism and also you dress the part and you walk the part Tell us about your sense of fashion and where that started and some of your fun, favorite designers that you've collaborated with because it's always a collaboration.
1: (laughs) Well, I I love to play dress-up. And um, my grandmother, Sadie, was very fashionable, Jakey's wife. Mm -hmm. And she would go to L.A. to get her spring and her winter wardrobe. And when she went out and went to the sand, she had her fur and her jewels and... She was coiffed and manicured, sure. and so, uh, you know, maybe had it's a the great influence there. Absolutely. And they had a wonderful dress shop uh, mm. in the Sands. Okay. And my grandfather would go to Paris and buy me um, designer clothes I- while I was growing up.
2: Wow.
0: That would certainly put you on a v- very fashionable path in your life.
1: Well, he and I used to have matching Western outfits. I've seen
0: a photo of that.
1: And when he died, yeah. my mother had... Um, the last outfit that he had cut down to fit me. Oh, and um, isn't I, that I, sweet. Have, I have a photograph of it. Yeah. I mean, I, I dearly, dearly love it. Incredible. Loved him.
0: Wow. And you've worked with, um, you've worn Jimmy Galanos. Oh,
1: Jimmy Galanos to me was a man that never Impeccable. sacrificed anything. Mm-hmm. He never uh, played the game. He was, what you saw was Jimmy to, to the nth degree. Perfection. Mm-hmm. So I donated his star dress, uh, I which Nancy Reagan had that star dress, and I to the, to the uh, University of Ohio Costume and Textile Museum, yeah. and another dress of his. I wore his clothes a, a lot. I, I, I loved them. Yeah, and I loved Bill Blass. He had a great spirit. We I remember he got on a float at my home in Tanglewood. When I was trying to do the <laughs> soiree on the swanee, and it was... A soiree <laughs> on the swanee. I yes, love it. and it had a southern theme, How and great. it was kind of uh, wintertime, and somehow there was this f- smoke coming up, and <laughs> anyway, luckily we didn't pampas float. Pampas grass? Pampas grass. <laughs> it was a swan. Yeah. And, uh, oh, that's a screen. And we used his... Um, table linens for the overcovers uh, for the uh, decorations in the ballroom at the houston country club how chic you asked me sometime about first well the ballet ball in 19 i think 1980 mm-hmm. didn't have an auction and at the houston club you were limited to the amount of money you could raise well we raised two hundred thousand dollars we added the silent auction and um uh, Who knows? It could have been the the start of the nutcracker market. That's
0: exactly right. Yes. What about, so let's talk about silent auctions and live auctions. How have you seen that evolve since it first began?
1: Well, I think the greatest thing you'll see is this commercial success of the nutcracker market. Mm -hmm. But I don't like the technology, and maybe that's me. I think people, when they bid on things, like to... Look at who's bidding against them, and they like it on a pad with lines and uh, mm-hmm. and and doing it the right way. Mm-hmm. Where you're in, you're not. It's not just something that's there. You're participating mm-hmm. with a silent auction. That's right. And people have helped raise lots of money by contributing. And I don't know if they receive the full recognition. The auction donors.
0: I don't think they do. I, I agree think that's with a that good completely. point because they do give of their time, their services, their location. And I think it does it's sort of an afterthought. You know, once yeah. the gala's over and, and and unfortunately a lot of people don't after they've bought it, they don't use it. So it's kinda gone to waste.
2: Uh, yeah, and the whole silent auction process is probably the most time consum one of the most time consuming processes of putting together an event.
1: Well, you really have to get someone professionally to set it up. That, that I think they owe that to the auction donors mm-hmm. so that thi- the things are displayed well and, and well there's lit. a minimum bid. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that amount actually goes to the charity because right. that's the way that retailers and other auction donors, artists, uh, you know, feel like they've contributed and they know where the funds are going. Mm-hmm. People today really want to know where their funds are going. Mm-hmm. They don't want to pay for uh, you know p- pr they don't want to pay for uh, someone to do the decorations i've never had anyone do the decorations i've always been really involved it's wow. part of the art
0: so what tell me about the artful decor and themes that are some of your favorites from some of your galas
1: well, for Marvin.
0: It's a laundry uh, list.
1: It's, well, here's, here's the, you'll like this. You like blue. I do. So uh, for Marvin's, I went to talk to this eyeglass gentleman, and I've got to remember his name. And he donated 1,200 pairs of bl- blue tinted glasses so that when we sang happy birthday to him, everyone in the audience put on their blue tinted glasses, all 1,200 people. Wow. And wow. sang happy birthday to him. I've done a commemorative plate for the Museum of Fine Arts when I chaired the Renaissance evening because I wanted to do something different. And it was a drawing by Buck Shewitz and Mrs. Mataheda flew down in a storm to Texas and it had to be in sepia and... You know, you always run into this protocol and bureaucracy. Mm-hmm. I might have made it a little bigger, a little more flamboyant. <laughs> <laughs> but Can't imagine. So Absolutely the, I did cannot the box imagine. and everything. So <laughs> Alice Brown said to me at this meeting, well, what are people going to do with this plate? I said they can put it on a credenza. They can use it as a service plate. They can give it as a gift. And, and uh, it reminds
0: them of the evening.
1: And I, I'll show you one on the table in here. Yeah, there. yeah. <laughs> now they're a collector's item.
0: Isn't that something? I- wow. It is. And you ha- you were an early advocate, if you will, f- in Houston, which was very hard hit by AIDS in the 80s. Oh. W- you did the first gala when... Um, patients with AIDS and those living with AIDS were kind of considered piranhas do you want to talk about that
1: I would love to my friend the legendary John Henry Falk and I were going to do this project together
0: you two I I cannot (laughs) even imagine you both (laughs) in the same room he called me oh my gosh he had
1: gone to a meeting he said Carolyn you've got to help me do this we're going to do this together so it we were going to work do this with the alley theater And there was a play by Alan Eggborn. He was donating the performance. Mm -hmm. And uh, during the course of this, John Henry had developed cancer. Mm -hmm. And I had to handle it all alone. And uh, we raised $100,000 wherein people the year before, uh, has said that it didn't do well because of the cause. Mm. I had one of my r- regular supporters say to me, "You can pick any cause you like, but this one is one I'm not going to support." Mm. But what I loved was someone had convinced him to to attend it, and uh, so it was a changing of the mind. We united the city in support of AIDS. Great. I had an, uh, an All Saints' Day at this church, the mm-hmm. Bering Community Service Foundation. AIDS patients couldn't get dental care. That's when people started wearing gloves and all of this uh, Mm -hmm. stuff came about. But I was passionate about it. I still am. Uh, Then I opened the Thomas Street Center. I Mm -hmm. don't know if you Mm -hmm. know that. An outpatient clinic in Houston. Mm -hmm. And it's still going today. And we didn't, of course, I always work with a zero budget. People donated chairs and rugs and lamps and Pa- art right. to decorate the rooms and uh, we had these fiery meetings bet. And <laughs> i, <laughs> I bet. can
0: only imagine i'd like to be a fly <laughs> no, on that I, know. I was
1: on this b- board and um, there were a lot of macho people in there let's just put it that
0: gotcha, way. gotcha. but it was uh,
1: you know i'm d- I'm so happy of that day yeah. and then later came the quilt you right know, the eights uh, quilt uh, yes mm-hmm. but this was that time mm-hmm. and uh, it was a wonderful evening and i didn't know where we were going to have the after party after the play because there was another play going on so i'm in the director's office and i look out the window onto jones plaza i said we'll have it on the plaza i didn't worry about the wind the rain rain or or anything wow and we had all these fabulous food stations and wonderful music and the the, the evening of hope was lit up around the, the circumference of the plaza it was, it was it was really magnificent. And that
0: was the, the theme
2: of the evening, an evening of hope.
1: And it was incredible.
2: Wow. Wow. Well, hope lingers. We know that. It does. And on that note, we're going to end part one with hope. And we're going to start part two with even more hope with Carolyn Farb stay, right after this. Stay tuned. Stay tuned, everyone. <laughs>